Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter number four. Genesis chapter number four. Our ushers will make their way through the congregation. If you did not receive a copy of this morning's handout, if you would just raise your hand and you will be able to follow along in the message and uh, know where we are and the scripture we'll be using. Wow, what a tremendous, tremendous crowd we have this morning. And for those who are watching by live stream, I want you to know the auditorium is full. The choir would not be able to go down this morning. And and so thrilling to see so many folks here today. And no doubt uh, you've heard uh, this morning a lot of references to the blood. And this may be strange to you. And you may be visiting or a regular attender or maybe even new in your faith. And all of this sounds a a little bit strange to you. With God's help this morning, I would like to preach a message about the blood. And it's a great privilege to stand before you to speak to you on this Easter Sunday resurrection morning regarding one of the greatest subjects in all the Word of God, Jesus Christ. And this morning, I trust that as you listen to this message, that you will not worry about what's going to happen later this afternoon or things on your agenda for this week, but in this particular time period, that you might just give careful attention to the preaching of God's Word. It is certain for all of us, every one of us this morning, that we have an uneasiness uh, in the current state of affairs that are ongoing within our country. And I find that people are searching for truth. And I want to give you a guarantee this morning. I guarantee you, you're going to hear absolute truth this morning. This morning, I've entitled this morning's message, No Blood Equals no salvation. No blood equals no salvation. And so we're going to look at an interesting passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 4. Please allow me to read the first eight verses so that way we understand the story. The Word of God says, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought uh, of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt not thou be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass that they were in the field. And that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Thus we have the first murder recorded in the word of God. 
One of the things that I've noticed in the morning uh, through the last several years of cycling is that early in the morning, the sun will cast a long shadow. In fact, the shadow is often distorted, running all the way across the road, almost freakish looking. And as the sun rises in the east, that shadow becomes a, a little more normal and taking on some definite shapes. And when the sun gets to a 45-degree angle, the shadow becomes very precise. Finally, when the sun gets directly overhead, the shadow disappears completely. At that moment, I'm cycling in the brightest light possible. This is really a parable of what often happens in the Bible when God reveals the truth of what I refer to as the blood atonement. Now, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews and also in the book of Colossians that there were things that happened in the Old Testament that were shadows, just like I described. They were shadows of things to come. In fact, Paul even wrote, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. In order for there to be a shadow, there first of all must be a light. And that this morning, there must also be an object for which that light to shine upon. And now the light is the revelation of God through his Bible we call the Holy Scriptures. And the object of that which light is going to shine is the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the dawn of civilization, in the dawn of revelation, those shadows back in Genesis were not very clear. They're not very distinct. But as the sun of God's revelation continues to rise, those shadows become clearer and sharper. And, and, uh, and we get to high noon of the New Testament and the Gospels. It is here that it's the dazzling light of God's Word and His revelation that we no longer see the shadow, but we see Jesus Christ Himself. And I'm thankful this morning that we can see Jesus Christ in all of His perfectness and His purity And in seeing Jesus Christ, we can learn so many lessons. So this morning, I want you to see with me one of those Old Testament shadows that begins to tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ, His blood, and the cross. We have a story tucked away here in Genesis chapter number 4 of two sons, their names Cain and Abel. They were born to to Adam and to Eve, uh, who God created in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 4 was written to tell us that God is to be worshipped. But the chapter also tells us that there is a right way to worship God, and there is definitely a wrong way to worship God. May I remind you of the words of Jesus himself. He said this, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So that means that there are some people who worship God, but they are not in the Spirit. And that also means that there are some people who worship God, and their worship is not according to the truth of God's Word. And my friends, that's no worship at all. I want to show you the difference between biblical salvation and false salvation this morning. We find this in the two stories here of these two brothers who came to worship the Lord. I would like to break down this story. And my prayer is is that many of you will think of this story in a new way and that you will discover things that you never, ever considered before. 
Here's the story. Cain, of course, he was a farmer. He worshiped the Lord by bringing the fruit of the ground. He brought vegetables and he brought fruit and flowers to offer to the Lord. Abel, he was a shepherd and he took an animal and I suppose it was one of those beautiful, precious, spotless little lambs that that he was raising. And he shed its blood and Abel also worshiped the Lord. Now you see, there's a a definite difference in these two styles of worship. And so this morning, I would like for us to examine three lessons from this story. Here's lesson number one. We see the contrast of their worship. We see the contrast of their worship. In verse number three and four, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock. Allow me to say that all religions are not the same. Sometimes we have this attitude that it's un-American if we don't wrap our arms around everyone. And there are people uh, that believe that we should just say, God bless everyone. You believe the way you want to believe. I'll believe the way I want to believe. And your way is good. Friend, that is not true. Um, Jesus is not just a good way to heaven. Jesus is not even the best way to heaven. I want you to listen to my voice this morning with all authority based on the word of God. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus, unapologetically, without room for debate, unashamedly, he said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to this. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Bible also states, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. If Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven, he is none of the ways to heaven. If Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven, I say this morning, Jesus Christ is a fraud, a sham, a charlatan, and I say a fraud, a sham, and a charlatan is nobody's savior. So I want you to see that there's a contrast between these two offerings. We see the worship of Cain. What did Cain do? He brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. God told Adam that in order to get anything out of the ground, he was going to have to work the ground by the sweat of his brow. It's not going to be like it used to be in the Garden of Eden. You're now going to have to work. You're going to have to struggle. It's going to be hard. It's going to be sweaty work. And with this in mind, how hard Cain must have worked. I imagine that he was a good farmer. I'm, aren't you thankful this morning for the hard work of farmers that put food on our tables? I'm not saying in any manner uh, this morning uh, putting down the work of farmers. Thank God for them. You can see Cain in his fields in the noonday sun working his crops. He's plowing and planting and cultivating and he's weeding and he's hoeing and fertilizing. And he takes all of that labors that represents the very best that he can do. I'm certain he took the most beautiful flowers 
and that he took the fragrant uh, herbs, and he took the most luscious vegetables and the ripest fruits, and he brought them to the Lord as an offering, and he spread them out in the most amazing of displays. And Cain says to the Lord, here, Lord, here is my offering to you. Oh, it must have looked like a county fair. How gorgeous it was and its looks and its smell and its taste. Now, wait a minute. The Bible says that God would not accept it. God had no respect of this offering. God turned his back on this offering. In fact, it was nauseous to God. You say, Pastor Armstrong, why is that? Because Cain did not understand the biblical principle that you can only approach God on the basis of a blood atonement. And this morning, you may be here in this year, 2022, and you're trying to bring the very best of your works to God. You cannot do that apart from the blood atonement. We can only come to God. We can only approach him on the basis of the blood atonement. In fact, the Bible says this, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. This is a fact. This is a truth. This is an undeniable truth in the Bible. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission satisfaction, payment for sins. Have you ever heard that expression, you can't get blood out of a turnip? How many of you have heard that expression? I think probably most of us have heard that. I don't know if this is where that expression originated. Um, it might be from this passage of Scripture. Maybe Cain brought turnips to the Lord as part of his offering, and there were no blood in those turnips. Now, on the other hand, we have uh, his brother, and his name was Abel. Cain's offering, it was very beautiful, but it represents the salvation of works. And I mean the way that people try to save themselves is by being good, and they think that they can bring the fruit of their toil and bring it back to God, and God must accept it because I have worked so hard. But the Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Now, we, by human nature, we divide up religions into all kinds of categories. There's Christianity, Confucianism, Buddhism, Islam. There's certainly Catholicism and New Age. We divide them up. Humanly speaking, we do that. And then we take Christianity and we further subdivide that. And we say there's the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Assemblies of God. And there's this, this, and this. Allow me to speak a truth this morning to you, right to your heart, right to your brain. There are only two divisions of all religions. There's the salvation by works, and there's the salvation by grace. Only two divisions. Cain, he represents salvation by works. He tries to be right with God by what he does. You see, the difference between religion and real salvation is that religion is rooted in what man tries to do for God. However, salvation, uh, believing in Jesus Christ, accepting him as my personal Lord and Savior, becoming a Christian, is, is rooted in what God has done for man. One is spelled do, and the other is spelled done. Uh, this world is trying to justify by itself by the fruit of our own hands. 
The Bible has something to say about those who do. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. And if you can work by the fruit of your hands and offer an acceptable offering to God, may I say this, Calvary was a terrible blunder. If you, by your good works, can get to heaven, Calvary and what we're doing this morning was a terrible blunder. Here is Cain. He just said, I fully believe that I'll do it this way. God's going to be pleased with me. Now, his idea did not come from the revealed word of God. People say today, I'm looking for a religion that'll suit me. My response is that you'd better find one that suits God. Uh, a thrice holy God has revealed how he wants to be worshipped. Here is Cain. He has his own man-made religion with his idea of works and rituals and tradition. And by the way, it was beautiful. It was cultured. It was ultimately gorgeous. It was even sacrificial. But it was not accepted. And this was the religion of Cain. Now, I want you to notice a verse in the Word of God in Jude, verse 11. It's the second to last book in the, uh, in the Bible. It says this, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Woe in the way of Cain. You can mark it down in Jude, verse 11. Woe unto them. Jude is the next to last book of the Bible. The Bible is still talking about this brother named Cain and the terrible mistake he made. The Bible says, woe unto them. Listen up. Woe unto them. They've gone the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? The way of Cain is his own self-righteousness, his own good works, his own manufactured religion. And it cannot be done. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Are you offering to God the fruit of your own hand? this morning? Are you saying to God, what a good man, what a good woman I am. I go to growth group. I give my tithe. I read my Bible. I pray. You can do all of those things and still die and go to hell. You are not and cannot be saved by the works of your own hands. Now let's contrast and see the offering that Abel brought to the Lord. Back in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4, it says that Abel also offered an offering to the Lord. Abel understood the blood atonement. This is the reason that Abel brought a lamb. He understood what I refer to as the blood atonement. Listen to what the Bible says, even in the New Testament, talking about Abel. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. Notice this. And by it, Abel, being dead, yet speaketh. So where did Abel get his faith? Where does anyone get their faith? No one gets faith until God speaks first. 
Faith is is something that comes from hearing the word of God. We do not have faith until God has spoken. and, And God can speak to you even this morning. Even in this very moment, his Holy Spirit can draw you and tell you that you need to have a relationship with him. His Holy Spirit this morning, if you do know Jesus Christ, can remind you that maybe you're not living the way you should be living. What faith is, is just taking God at his word. The Bible says it was by faith that this man offered a more excellent sacrifice. Abel knew and he understood the blood sacrifice. Have you ever thought about this? Abel was a prophet. We know very little about him, but he was a prophet. And all of the verses that I have discovered about the man Abel, I believe in his offering, he was prophesying of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was speaking when he said this. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them which shall slay and persecute that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. Notice verse 51. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias. Jesus is saying that Abel was a prophet uh, who was killed for his faith. And now the prophets had one message, and this one message is described in the books of Acts, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. All of the prophets in the Bible had one message, believe on Jesus and be forgiven for your sins. All of the prophets spoke that it is, if you will believe on Jesus, you can have remission for your sins. Now, somehow, often, maybe through VBS, through a a, a children's Sunday school class, we often get the idea that Cain and Abel were some type of country bumpkins, that they didn't really know anything, Uh, plowing up the ground with a stick, herding sheep with a staff. One day, they just sauntered into the presence of God and decided to worship him. I say, no, 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 that is not what happened. The Bible says that Abel worshiped God. He worshiped God by faith. And in order to have faith, you have to have a a relationship with God. The Bible says he was a prophet and he understood the blood atonement. And he may not have understood as you understand it and I understand it, standing this side of Calvary, but Abel was one of those Old Testament prophets that pointed people to Jesus Christ. The blood atonement, my friend, is not something that God thought up in the New Testament. It was not an afterthought with God. It was not an emergency measure. God had the blood atonement on his mind when he spoke this planet into existence some six to seven thousand, not million, six to seven thousand years ago. Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. God had the blood of Calvary in his heart, in his mind, and in his soul when he made this world. And God took all of the prophets and he started prophesying about the man, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament says somebody is coming. The Gospels say somebody has come. And the epistles in the book of Revelation, they say somebody is coming again. 
I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is the hero of our Bible. The Old Testament says somebody is coming. And that's what we're looking at this morning. And that somebody has come. And we're worshiping him this morning. This is a principle that starts in Genesis. And it goes all the way through our Bible. If you've ever doubted your Bible, never doubt it again after this morning. The principle is this. That there, if there is no blood, there is no salvation. Bear with me as I take a few moments to make you excited about your Bible. There is in our Bible a red river of redemption that runs from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. It welled up in the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam and Eve? They had three kinds of garments. They had a robe of glory. They were covered with light, the Bible says. Then they lost that robe of glory. Then they had a robe of guilt as they knew that they were naked and covered in shame from their sin. Then they had a robe of grace. As God killed that innocent animal and he made for them a covering out of coats of skin. What was God teaching? Right there in the dawn of salvation when the shadow was a little freakish looking and no one clearly understood what was going on. He was teaching this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. We proceed to Abel. Next comes Abel. He brings a pure, spotless lamb. As obviously he has learned from his parents about worshiping God. And God had respect unto Abel. We continue through the Bible and centuries have now passed. Men have dunk, sunk so much deeper into their sin. And God, he wipes mankind from the face of the earth. Except for Noah and his family. What is the first thing that Noah does? He offers a blood sacrifice sacrifice unto Almighty God. And even though centuries have come, and even though uh, centuries have gone, uh, had gone, God has purged the world with the great flood. Still there is a lesson to be taught. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. We see Abraham. He's now ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. There's no more sacred picture in all of the Old Testament than Abraham on Mount Moriah. And in Genesis chapter 22, he was getting ready to sacrifice his only son. And God says through an angel, Abraham, stay thy hand. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. And the Bible says that Abraham offered that ram as an offering in place of his son. The Bible says that the gospel was preached through Abraham and there was a blood atonement. My friend, I remind you again, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. How about that story in the Old Testament we see called the Passover? How about that night of the first Passover in Egypt? Do you remember the story? The Jews were about to become a nation, and they were leaving the land of Egypt. And in Exodus, God said to his people, before you come out of this lamb, of this land, I want you to take a lamb. You're to slay that lamb. And every house in Israel or in Egypt that's a, 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 that was a Jewish house, you're to take the blood of that lamb. And he said to the Pharaoh, and if you do not believe this, uh, your firstborn will die. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to strike the blood on the lintels of uh, the doorpost of every house. Can you see that? Can you see that cross that was made uh, there? The Bible says then uh, there will be a death angel that will march through the land of Egypt. And that death angel was going to look for what? The blood. And God says, if I don't see the blood, 
then I'll slay the firstborn in that house of every, every family. But here's what God did say. Make no mistake about it. He says this. When I see the blood, I'll pass over. You could have put rubies and diamonds and silver and gold upon the doorpost, but if there was no blood, your firstborn was dying. If they had written soliloquies and poems and poetry and tacked it to the door, my friend, the death angel would have still come in. And they could have tied a beautiful, spotless, perfect lamb to the doorpost, having never slayed that lamb. And the death angel would have still come in and slain the firstborn. My friend, the Bible says this. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Oh, then we progress through our Bible. We see the Levitical uh, sacrifices come in upon thousands, upon thousands of, uh, of offerings. There's a red river of redemption that flows through the Old Testament history. What are all of those Levitical sacrifices teaching us? They're pointing us to the Lamb of God, which was slain from the foundation of the world. Oh, quickly in our story, one day there was an old man this time by the name of John the Baptist. He stepped into the Jordan River. Do you remember that story? And then he saw my precious Savior, Jesus Christ. And he saw Jesus Christ approaching that river. And he said this, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away what? The sin of the world. The shadow that we see back in the book of Genesis chapter 4 pointing to the Lamb of God uh, which would remove all sin of the world was brilliantly displayed at high noon when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. God was building up all those Old Testament sacrifices teaching us that sin leads to death. Sin means death. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Bible says, I require a blood sacrifice. The Bible says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. These things are shadows. They're pointing to the Lord Jesus. And here back in the dawn of civilization, we see a shadow. Yes, the picture is not clear. There's not a lot of form. There's no color. There's no power or substance in the shadow. Dear friend, we are now living at high noon. Make no mistake about it. We can see that all, the, uh, all that is exposed, all of our sin and our wickedness and our religion and our depravity, it's exposed now. God is pouring out all his light on the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is saying this, behold, stop a minute, folks. Please look at the Lamb of God. Look at Jesus. This is the only one that can take away your sin this morning. We can see here a definite contrast in their worship. Would you notice a second lesson? I got all of that, all of that out of Genesis chapter 4. Let's quickly notice the second lesson this morning. We see here the consequences of their worship. The consequences of their worship. Back in Genesis chapter number 4, he, God says that he received Abel's offering. God did not receive the other offering. The difference between the religion of Cain and the religion of Abel is the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. It's the difference between acceptability and unacceptability. It's therefore the difference between heaven and hell. You say, now wait a minute. After all, Cain was doing the best 
He knew how. Why couldn't God just, just say, okay, now Cain, I have to admit, you didn't do it exactly how I wanted it. And I, I acknowledge that there's no blood sacrifice. Uh, Cain, I'll go ahead and accept your offering anyway. Why couldn't God do that? Why can't God accept your good works? You're here today and, and you say, listen, I pray five times a day. I do my rosary beads religiously. I always I give to good causes and I try to make sure that my good is way better than my bad. May I just tell you that God's holiness would not allow him to overlook Cain's sin. You see, the Bible teaches us that God must judge sin. God's righteous and uh, uh, God's holy and God's integrity says this, sin, it must be punished. May I just share some verses with you from Romans chapter number 3. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, beginning with all people, all the way back to our story of Cain and Abel, including you and me, all of us are sin. We're a sinner by birth. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. We are sinners by practice. And therefore, every one of us are a sinner. There's not a single person that could stand up this morning and say, I am without sin. I have never sinned. Every one of us, we are sinners. The Bible goes on to say in Romans chapter 3, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in who? Jesus Christ. The only way you can receive redemption is through Christ Jesus. At the cross, we were redeemed. And then in verse 25 of Romans chapter 3, it goes on to say, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. That's a word we do not normally use. It means a satisfaction through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. What does that mean? It means that God has a holy law. His law cannot be overlooked. God never has and God never will. And God uh, will never allow one sin to go unpunished. If God could let one half of one sin to go unpunished, listen to me, my friend, God would cease to be a holy God. God would topple from his throne of holiness. A commentator has written, when a guilty man is acquitted, the judge is condemned. If God were to ever let sin go unpunished, God himself becomes a sinner. Such a thing is unthinkable. I recoil at that idea. God has sworn by his holiness that sin will be fun, uh, punished and his righteous law must be satisfied. What meets the satisfaction or propitiation of God's law was the death of his son, Jesus Christ. It was the fact that Jesus Christ shed his blood for each one of us. The Bible says that Jesus is my propitiation. He is my satisfaction. Back to Romans chapter 3, verse 26, it says, To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Put a star beside this verse if you're going to study and read this later. Because of the cross, God can be both just and the justifier of those who will believe in Jesus. Now, if God were to forgive us without the cross, he would be the justifier, but he would not be just because he'd be overlooking sin. If God gave me what I deserve, I would go to hell. By the way, I deserve hell. On the other hand, if God justified me, he would not be just anymore. He would have, again, overlooked my sin. 
Don't you see it this morning? The cross, that cross that is right behind me, it is the only way that, we can be, that he can be both just and the justifier. The cross is the only way that Jesus could take my place. All of my sin and all of my shame and all of my blame and all of my unworthiness, him who knew no sin, God hath made him to be sin for me, and his name was Jesus, God's lamb, took my sin to the cross, and there he bowed his head, and he said emphatically, it is finished. May I tell you what that means in three other words? Paid in full. My righteous demands have been satisfied. He is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction for my sins. So that's the difference, my dear friend. The consequences are one of these boys went to heaven and one of these boys went to hell. The Bible speaks about them. Woe unto them, for they've gone the way of Cain. There are but two ways. There's the way of the Cain and there's the way of the cross. Which way are you going? Everyone right now listening to my voice, whether live stream or right here out in front of me or behind me in the choir and in our orchestra, I ask you, which way are you going? The way of Cain or the way of the cross? From the dawn of civilization, a lesson has been taught. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for your sin. This morning, I understand that there will be many who still believe, even after hearing the truth of God's word, that you believe in culture more than Calvary. You're still going to bring your herbs and your fruits and your vegetables and your flowers and you'll bring your ingenuity and you'll bring your good deeds and you'll bring your golden rule and you'll say, God, look at me how good I have been. I've been so much better than so-and-so. Oh, please hear me. God is not impressed because in heaven you'll never boast of one thing that you've done here on this earth. If you were to start with Cain and Abel and you were to take the best uh, men and the best women who have ever lived on all of this earth, all of them, and you were to extract from them just the finest qualities in every one of them, and you were somehow able to, to put all of the best of every single man and every single woman who's ever lived and put them into one person, might I just tell you that person would still have to bow at the feet of Jesus and accept what he has done for them in order to get to heaven. There is no salvation apart from the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. No blood equals no salvation. You say, I don't agree with this. I don't like what you say. I've been taught my whole life that if I said this, that if I were, were good, that if I believed in a catechism, if I graduated from vacation Bible school, if I did this, uh, sprinkle, baptize, that, that everything would be okay. May I just tell you what the Bible says about that thinking? For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who won't believe. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish and refuse to believe the word of God, but foolishness. But to the majority of us who are saved, it is the power of God. Oh, you can try culture if you want. You can try works if you want. You can bring the fruits of your hands if you want, but the Bible is clear. Make no mistake. Woe unto you. You have gone the way of Cain. Woe unto you. You have gone the way of Cain. 
Why do you think God put this story in the Bible? I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall never get sight of the gates of life if the way of the cross I miss. Now, Abel was slain. The Bible says, he being dead yet speaketh. Death to the child of God is not a period. It is but merely a comma. All of those, uh, uh, all that we are uh, is that we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, you may physically die, but you'll be in the presence of Jesus. The, the consequences or the way of Cain is death, destruction, and separation from God. Very quickly, I understand what time it is. I'll wrap this message up very quickly. So let me just give our third lesson this morning. We've examined the, the, con, uh, the, we've examined the, uh, the contrast and the consequences. But let me acknowledge the conflict of their worship. The conflict of their worship. This is a sad story. Genesis chapter 4, verse number 5. And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. The Lord said unto Cain... Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I believe there's a little subterfuge here. I believe he was luring him away into the field. The Bible simply says Cain slew or killed Abel. The conflict of their worship. False religion is one of the meanest and nastiest forces in the world today. But I want to remind you the people do not need religion. They need relationship with Jesus Christ. The awful thing today is that religion brings about wickedness and strife and division in the society in which we live. What is going on in Israel and Palestine at this very moment, right here in 2022, on this Easter Sunday morning, it's a fight over religion. Religion is mean and it is cunning. But my friend, may I tell you that a relationship with Jesus Christ is life-changing and it is loving. Be reminded this Easter Sunday morning that it was a religious crowd that crucified Jesus I'm so thankful that we can trust him. And we can trust what he did. And if by faith I will accept the blood sacrifice, he will save me. May I conclude the message with just a thought? The early Christians, those that were saved after Jesus had died and rose again and he went back to heaven. Those early Christians, you know that they could have gotten along with that early Roman Empire, if they would have just said, Jesus is one of the many ways to heaven. That's all they had to say. 2,000 years ago, all of those early Christians, all they had to say was this, Jesus is one of the many ways. How do I know that? They had a pantheon for all their gods. They had Zeus and Poseidon and Mars and all the rest of them. And they could have had a little niche for Jesus there, and everyone would have gotten along hunky-dory. But no, those early Christians understood without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus only. The world did not like it 2,000 years ago, and they still hate that thinking today. The world thinks we're narrow and we're bigoted. And you may be visiting with us today and say, listen, this goes against everything I've ever heard in my entire life. I don't like it. May I just tell you, broad-minded people, they come down like a hammer when we refuse to be as broad-minded as they are. And ironically, there's a narrowness in their broadness. Listen to what Jesus said, the God of heaven. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. The time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think 
they've done God a service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. Verse 4 there, these things have I told you. That when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you them. My friend, I'm telling you, there's conflict in the world today over religion. I don't want to have religion. I want to have relationship. Jesus is acknowledged here in John 16 that in order for there to be a one-world religion, there's going to have to be some conflict, and it's coming. There was conflict all the way back to Abel and Cain. And the Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? There's two ways. The way of Cain and the way of the Calvary of the cross. One leads to heaven. One leads to hell. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Will you say yes to Jesus Christ this morning? It would be the greatest decision that you've ever made in your life. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or satisfaction or payment for your sin. Will you accept what Jesus...